ourselves the requisite amount of time off to sort of digest what was a you know there's no way to sugarcoat it Sunday night sucked um nothing beats the pleasure of watching your team in the Super Bowl but nobody talks about how awful the next day feels if your team loses and you were overserved on alcoholic beverages which I happen to have been so you know that's why it took until Friday for us to record but we're here now how you doing big man well, um, you know, earlier in the week, it felt like I had lost somebody very close to me. Uh, that was the feeling I had inside my stomach. I'm sure a lot of people listening um, felt the same way, if you truly care about the Bengals. But I'm doing better. It's, it, it, you know, it's, it's funny. Bengals Twitter is already talking about the offseason, but I can't. It's like once a day I think of one play in that game that could have changed it. Um, and it brings me sadness for about five to 10 minutes and then I move on. But I used to, you know, like Monday, Tuesday, I'd think about it all day. Now it's just once or twice a day. Um, so, you know, it, it'll get better. We certainly hope it does. Um, you know, at the risk of fast forwarding us into off season mode too quickly, I think that Sunday night exposed, you know, to kind of circle back to what we talked about this year, last time, this time last year, and that was, is Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase the right pick? And we saw last night why that debate was what it was, or not last night, Sunday night, why that debate was what it was. You know, the Bengals don't come anywhere near the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase, and they're probably not even in that game without Jamar Chase. But, you know, having a really good O-line pays dividends in big moments just like that. Yeah, and to be fair, the Bengals did address the O-line last year. They they signed Riley Ree for right tackle. Um, they drafted they drafted Jackson Carmen for right guard. Um, and Trey Hopkins was coming back. Uh, Joni Williams was good. They brought uh, Quentin Spain back. So they really didn't do they didn't do like they did the bare minimum for the O line. I'll give them that. <clears throat> but they did something. Uh, they cut Bobby Hart. Uh, and it turns out Isaiah Prince is even worse than Bobby Hart uh, somehow. Um, and Akima Deneji was coming off an okay rookie campaign as their swing tackle. So they're going to give him a shot. So it makes sense why they took Jamar Chase and it makes sense why they didn't take, I, I'm being, and I'm being serious. If they took Sewell, I don't think they make the playoffs. No, they definitely don't. And, you know, the people trying to relitigate that debate, I, I think are just totally off base um, by even bringing that up, because like we said, I mean, the Bengals don't come anywhere near playoffs. They they get beat by the Chiefs by 30 
if they don't have Jamar Chase. Um, but, you know, for years and years and years now, and I guess this kind of does combine off-season look-ahead with Super Bowl, what happened in the Super Bowl, for years and years and years, they have been so terrible at picking O-linemen in the draft that hopefully Sunday night was a wake-up call to we can't rely on the draft anymore to solve this problem. We need to go out and we need to sign three guys in the middle that can get the job done. Yeah, so I, I, I've i been heavily invested in Bengals Twitter over the last four or five days, which has been kind of toxic, to be honest with you. A lot more toxic than I thought it was going to be. Um, I feel like before the Super Bowl, just a little rant about Bengals Twitter and about Bengals social media, a lot of people were with the Bengals before the Super Bowl, but after they lost, I feel like a lot of people are hating on the Bengals for that just came out of the woodworks for no reason. And I don't really understand. Um, but yeah, you know, to kind of point, you know, what you were saying, the uh, they've been terrible at drafting O-line probably the last five, six years. And the ironic part is they were really good in the early 2010s drafting O-line. Like their O-line, okay, their O-line was probably top 10 in the NFL. So that's just a preview of a look at that's today's trivia question is going to be about yeah. their success okay. or lack thereof of drafting alignment. But, you know, I mean, I don't think any of us expected Jackson Carmen to come in and play right away. But when we got down to the end of the season and, you know, he had those couple of games in the middle of the year where, you know, you were like, okay, there's some signs of hope here. You know, he played well, that well Ravens against game. Detroit. That Ravens game, he played well. Played well against the Ravens, played well against Detroit. And then towards the end of the year, it kind of just seemed like he had gone back into the doghouse with the coaching staff. And, and, you know, like we, like I said, when they picked him, it was with the goal in mind of him being a project and and bringing him along. Then they pick him and they tell us he's going to compete at guard. Well, I think we both knew from that point on that, that that was just not a good idea. And when you look at their O line and I, and, you know, I want to do this exercise now, which of the f- five guys, and I know that two of them are just going to be ruled out immediately. Are you comfortable with any of the five guys on Sunday night's offensive line starting next year? And if you are comfortable with them starting next year, do you want to see them change positions? Cough, cough, Jonah Williams. Yeah. yeah yep. Yeah. I think we're on the same page here. I'm comfortable with one. Um, one of them starting. I would be comfortable with Trey Hopkins and Quentin Spain as depth. Um, the problem with Trey Hopkins is he's making, what, six mil this year? And if they cut him, they get five of that back. Um, so they get, I think – They get seven of it back. He's, oh, they get all – If they cut him, they get $7 million. Okay, so he's going to be a cap casualty. I think they're going to cut Trey Hopkins. Um, and Trey Waynes, thank God. And Trey Wayne's, thank God, that praise the Lord, most the, the highest paid special teamer in NFL history. Um, and so I'm really only comfortable with one starting, and that would be Jonah Williams. Um, and it was kind of a, a thing when he was coming out of Bama that his arms were kind of short, uh, didn't know if he could play left tackle in the NFL. And we've seen he he's not a bad left tackle by any means. He's league average or a little above league average as a left tackle. But I think if he moved into left guard or even played right tackle, he could be – I think that's his more natural position. What, what, what do you think about that? You know, I think it's hard to start a guy at left tackle for – was this his 
this was, this was his, this was his second full year of starting. This was his third technical NFL season. Now, yeah, he I tore his back that first year. I think it's tough to move a guy inside after he's played that long if his name's not Andrew Whitworth or one of those guys that you know, for lack of a better term, is a surefire Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, but you know, we saw Sunday night a lot of the reasons why Jonah Williams was not the consensus top tackle in 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 his draft it's because he does have short arms he's not exceedingly mobile um you know von miller you know he didn't do a whole lot sunday night but and the issues were much more with the three guys in the middle and the guy on the right but when you take it all together and you look at it you don't need your offensive line to be a strength of your team but when it's the glaring weakness, you simply cannot live on playing games like that, especially when you look at next year and you have a schedule that features teams that have some really good defensive linemen. And we're talking about New Orleans, Tampa Bay, New England, Dallas. You just got to – you have Brown, to – I mean, and the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so – uh, I wanted to, you know, I, and I want to say one thing about the Super Bowl. If you would have told us at the beginning of the year, I thought they were going to what? Going to go seven and ten, and you thought ten and seven or nine and eight. Yeah. If you would have told us they would have made a Super Bowl this year and lost, dude. I would have been ecstatic. Um, the one thing, last thing I want to say about the Super Bowl before I go into a deep state of depression once again, is they had the game and they lost it. Um, it's a trend with Bengal Super Bowls, sadly. Um, and I want to address one thing before we start talking about, you know, the, you know, the other O-line problems. I'm sick and tired of people saying they'll be back next year because that is just so, and, and this is, and I'm not saying they can't do it, but to just surefire say, oh, they'll be back next year. The, you don't know that. The, you, the AFC is absolutely loaded. And let's not let's not forget this. The Bengals got kind of lucky this postseason. Um, Mahomes had the worst half of his career. Derek Carr choked. Uh, Ryan Tannehill stinks. So, and that's not it doesn't, that's not taking away anything away from the Bengals, but it, they're pat. It is really freaking hard. To it's get free, to you saw, yeah, Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. Uh, second full year starting, made a Super Bowl, lost, never went back. Dan Marino is probably a top five, six quarterback of all time. So it's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're in the AFC with arguably the most talented quarterback ever in Patrick Mahomes. And you have Justin Herbert and you have all these guys that are just insanely gifted. Josh Allen. It, 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 I'm not getting my hopes up that they're getting back. That's what makes it hurt even worse. Do you know what I mean? They had a chance and they lost and I don't know if they're going to get back. And it was a great chance because this Rams team, I mean, just look at the, this Rams team. Matt Stafford, we said this on, on, on the preview podcast. Turnover-worthy throws. He was going to give them turnovers, and he did exactly that. And what comes back to bite this team in the ass was what they did so well at the beginning of the season, and that is scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Those first eight weeks of the season, once they got in the red zone, it was like, Oh, they're scoring a touchdown right here automatically. And, you know, they get the interception from a right after the touchdown to Higgins. 
in the red zone, can't punch it in. They get the 70-yard or 55-yard pass to Chase, get down to the 11, can't punch it in. And it just seems emblematic of a team that was one or two pieces away from just making that last play and, and winning the Super Bowl. And that's why it just it stings so much more than if it would have been a game where, you know, maybe if Odell Beckham plays the whole game, maybe they lose by 10 and we're sitting here saying, you know, what can you really do against OBJ and Cooper Cup? But the fact that they are leading going into the fourth quarter, they win the turnover battle, they are doing so many great things on defense. And we've talked all year about how this offense is you know, they played well all season, but they can still take this next step. And it just seems like instead of taking the next step, they took a step backwards in that fourth quarter, which really sucks. Yeah. So I went back and, you know, I looked at the box score, looked at the game flow again. They didn't score a point after the 10, like 40 mark in the third quarter, which is just, I mean, it was like a, I mean, yeah, they could get, okay, Joe Burrow got sacked seven times. It was, it was kind of like the Tennessee game. They just hit a brick wall. And I don't know, they didn't, I watched a video on it, shouldn't have. Um, film breakdown made me even more sad. They did nothing to adjust to what the Rams were doing. They did absolutely nothing to adjust. Well, they, and, the, and the surprising part is they did a good job in the first half. Like, Great. you know, we can disagree about whether or not, the scheme and the, and the strategy that, that the offense had in the first half worked, but Joe Burrow was not getting hit in the first half. They were, if they had been able to execute some of their stuff a little bit better, you know, Joe Burrow misses a wide open T Higgins on that first fourth and one, if they execute a little bit more, they probably go into the halftime with a lead, but then you get into the second half and it seems like the Rams made all these adjustments of, shifting Aaron Donald around on the line and bringing five man fronts and confusing the Bengals. And it just seemed like for lack of a better, you know, term, the Bengals just ran, totally ran out of juice. They, they had no answers in that those last two minutes because Aaron Donald was just a man possessed in that fourth quarter. Oh, I, and you know what he, Aaron Donald is arguably the best. He's not the best defensive player ever. I think people are getting caught up in the moment. I think it's still more. Oh, he's the best defensive player of all time. I think it's still Lawrence Taylor. Um, but They're one A and one B. I agree. No, I agree. I mean, uh, Aaron Donald in a more athletic NFL has better accolades. I would give you that. But I, I you can't say he's you, – you never know. It's like the Jordan Jordan and uh, LeBron debate. You, just, you, you, you never know. But Aaron Donald was a man possessed. Um, Cooper Cup is absolutely unguardable. Um, they did a really good job in the first half, uh, on Cooper cup. They really did. And Cooper cup only had, he didn't have like a crazy big game, but th- th- here's my thing. And this is the last thing I, I, I can't talk about it anymore, or I'm going to go into it. I'm going to crawl into a hole. You talking about our friend, Eli brother. Why, why are you single in the biggest play of the whole season? Well, it was really when Mixon wasn't in, but I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to get too angry about that. Um, you have Eli Apple on the best receiver, uh, arguably in the last 15 years. Yeah, maybe the best. Se- it's the best season this receivers ever had. 
Well, and yeah, he, it's, it, he is one of four guys to win the triple crown for receiving. And you have you, your worst healthy active corner on him. And um, you know what? We t- and we talked about this last week. The the Bengals, we said this. The Bengals made it so that the Rams could not run worth a shit on Sunday. I'm telling you, had eight tackles for loss, which is the most in Super Bowl history. Logan Sam, Logan, Hubbard, Sam, Hubbard, Sam Hubbard is an elite run defender. He is. Logan Wilson it will be an all-pro – he will make an all-pro team in his career. I guarantee that. It, it was insane. Anything the Rams tried to do handing the ball off – it was totally worthless. And Jermaine Pratt, Logan Wilson, that entire front four uh, to be without Larry Ogunjobi, without Joseph Osai, without Joe Bocci, without all of these guys that they've accumulated these injuries to throughout the season. And to still be able to play the run like that was astounding. Chidobia Wuzie played great. Jesse Bates played great. And then, Eli Apple had a bad game when you just can't afford to have a bad game. But to your point, why is he single covered? Oh, on yeah. Cooper Cup? So people oh. were going, people were going off on Eli Apple on Twitter and he absolutely, I think he deserves it because he called out cheetah. You can't do that. You're not very good. You can't call out Terry kill. But the thing is, is it, it wasn't even Eli Apple's fault. You can't even blame Eli Apple. It's the, it's the scheme. <laughs> Like it's that would it, it's like putting me out there against Cooper Cup. I can't guard him. Why are you getting mad at me? Eli Apple can't guard him. Why are you getting mad at him? It's not his fault that he has to go one on one against maybe the greatest receiver, you know, in the NFL right now. Uh, it's it just it's not his fault. If, if they're committed to playing that sort of defense against that sort of offense, then going into an offseason point, then you have to upgrade that. CB2 slot because you cannot play. Eli Apple was great this year in the role that they had him in, which was a reserve corner coming off the bench. And then at some point they decided that he was going to assume a quasi role of being a number one. And, you know, he played okay in the playoffs, but Sunday night was a total indictment on the fact that, you know, the Bengals built a really good roster because they made it to the Super Bowl. We know that takes a good roster. But losing the Super Bowl often exposes the holes that you have. And if we come out of Sunday night saying anything, it's that the two holes on this team were probably the two holes that they had last year as well, and that is O-line and cornerback. Yeah, and but the good part is, the, the great news is um, – with the cutting, hopefully the cutting of Trey Waynes and Trey Hopkins, uh, you'll clear up cap. And from last offseason, this is what I we were talking about in the group chat. Um, so we were talking about, you know, Bengals offseason. I said the Bengals have had two to three offseasons in a row that are almost per- have been almost perfect. Other than the Jackson Carmen and the Trey Wayne signing. Um, we'll see next year with Joseph Asai that last year's draft with Jamar Chase and Joseph Asai is going to be a great draft. Um, the draft before it was Joe Burrow, T Higgins, and Logan Wilson, in the first three rounds, all seven of the players from the 2020 draft are key contributors um, on this team, which almost never happens. Uh, Marcus Bailey was our seventh round pick. He played pretty well this year in a reserve linebacker role. So 
they're one offseason away. They're one Chiefs last offseason uh, O-line revamp away from really competing not only for, you know, another Super Bowl, but, you know, to, to have that consistency. I think that's the thing I'm worried about is, you know, last time the Bengals were good, at the end, they were really good, and then they fell off a cliff. So I don't think they're going to fall off a cliff. I think they have way too much talent. But they're an O-line in a solid draft away from, you know, competing for one seeds in the AFC for the next three to four years. Yes, yes, they are. And, you know, hopefully, you know, so Joe Burrow comes out of, not comes out of, but ends the game Sunday night. And, you know, let's be honest, Joe Burrow did not play that well on Sunday night. Not all his fault, obviously, um, because of the O-line and the various factors out of his control. But he did not play that well. He missed a couple of reads, uh, mainly T. Higgins on that fourth and one, was wide open at the beginning of the game. Um, But he comes out of that game with another knee injury on the other knee, MCL sprain. I just hope that he doesn't go down this Andrew Luck path of the Bengals neglect the O-line again this offseason and Joe Burrow, well, pray to God he doesn't, but by some miracle, maybe he gets hurt again next year. I mean, at that point, you just have to throw your hands up in the air and say, at what point is this just negligence on behalf of the Bengals? Because no, I think, yeah, I, I agree. night was bad. I agree. It was bad. But the thing is, is that I have trust in the Bengals front office now. And maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm stupid for having that. But they've spent, they have spent the fourth most free agent dollars the last two off seasons. Um, so I trust that, you know, they're going to find a way to not have a band aid O line, to not have a Quentin Spain, to not have a Trey Hopkins or an Akeem Adenogy or an Isaiah Prince blocking for Joe Burrow. I do trust that because there's absolutely no excuse to make it to a Super Bowl with that shit of an O line excuse my language, um, and you have $70 million in cap space and you can't find a way to get anybody else. There's just no excuse anymore. And also, um, I've been reading Twitter sources, and I know this is kind of a Super Bowl you know, recap, but I'm just going to throw a name out for all of our listeners. And if this happens, I will. this will be the greatest thing the Bengals did in the last three years, and that is trade from Akai Becton from the Jets. I've seen it. Um, I want your opinion on that real quick. Well, at some point they do have to commit to, you know, the Bengals are just anti-trade. They're like North Korea with how close they are to trading with other uh, organizations. Um, But at some point you have to employ it. Like you said, you have to employ that chief's approach and say, you need, we need to trade picks to fix this thing. And whether that be trading picks to get Becton, whether that (laughs) trading picks and getting Ryan Ramchek, whether that be trading picks and getting any person that you look at and say, this guy is a solid starting NFL lineman, at some point that has to factor into the thinking because drafting these bums, for lack of a better term, these bums in the second and third round and expecting them and later. I mean, Trey Hopkins was like a six-round pick. Akeem was a yeah, expecting yeah. these guys to come in and, and contribute and, and be solid players 
when all evaluators thought that they weren't going to be great players coming out of college, it reflects poorly on the organization. Now, like you were saying, they've done a great job identifying league-wide talent uh, in the past couple of years. They suck at drafting O-line. So they suck at it. I don't think – since Whitworth, they haven't really picked a good one. Maybe – well, Zeitler. But you look at this and and you have to – commit money and resources and it has to be the first priority i get jesse bates i get that and and we'll talk about him in a second but this is the number one priority for this entire offseason is fixing this trash heap of an o-line that you've put up with for three years now well here's the thing so this is my theory and i don't know if you'll agree with this but i i think you will the Joe Burrow was good enough and transcendent enough. If you get him a good O-line and keep him upright, he will hide the other holes that you have in your roster. So say we don't get another cornerback too, like an elite, you know, a good free agent cornerback too, or we don't get better interior D lineman, right? Um, If you get Joe Burrow a good O-line, he will be able to score enough points most of the time where that won't matter, where it won't be a glaring need or that it won't be something that we're talking about on a weekly basis. Because the thing about interior D line or, you know, even an edge rusher is our linebackers that we have under contract are good enough to hide those weaknesses. Our safeties are good enough. Our corners for the most part are good enough. Um, But the one thing that we keep circling back on is this damn O line. And it, it doesn't make any sense to me why they wouldn't go all in this offseason with all this money and guys will want to play with Joe. So that's, that's the, the, that's that's the, the and even, and even the national media is gaining that attention. Even they're saying, um, you know, that Cincinnati's a free agency destination now because of one man and one man only. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we're going to get into this for the next, two months leading up to the draft, but Ryan Jensen, Ben Jones, two of the top centers available. You, you have to think they make a run at either of those guys. Brendan Scherf, top guard available. James Daniels from the bears. One of the top guards available. Uh, I don't think Teron Armstead factors into their thinking, but we can get into that um, in the next couple of weeks. One question for you. Do you think that what happens Sunday night and what happened, I guess the whole playoffs even if they do fix the O-line, hopefully they do. Do you think what they've seen these first two years of Joe Burrow just getting slaughtered, do you think this changes the design of the offense at all in that they might do more play action? They might do more move the pocket stuff with Joe Burrow to get him to avoid a ton of these hits. Do you think that this offseason and going into next season, Zach Taylor maybe reevaluates some of his schematics just to try and work around Joe Burrow getting hit so much. So I think that the important part is actually improving the O-line. And as you said, not with those bums from, not bums from the draft. And you know what, maybe they hit on one, but I don't trust that with, with their track record. So yeah, get, bring guys in that are veterans that have proven NFL experience and proven NFL success. And to be honest with you, I think the scheme changes for the better. I think that it opens the playbook up way more because people are 
getting mad at Zach Taylor for calling a bad game. Did he call a great game? No, he did not. But what are you supposed to do? You can't call five and seven stop or five and seven step drops when your O line is a piece of freaking thin toilet paper. I mean, they have, they're using one ply dorm room toilet paper on they that have Walmart brand toilet paper is their O line, and you're asking them to take seven step drops. <laughs> it's not happening. They're taking three step drops or to literally catch and throw. They're not taking any deep drops um, because of how bad their O line is. So. I think he improved that Zach Taylor lo- will look like a Andy Reed with the good O line because Joe Burrow is so talented in their weapons. It's, it's, it seems pretty simple to me. You get a good, you get, you get good interior O lineman. You know, I don't even care if you have a bandaid or right tackle. I just want better interior. You could bring Riley reef back. I don't know. We'll get into it, but you just need somebody in the middle that can block an Aaron Donald at least 85% of the time. 80% of the time, not 20% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So free agency starts March 14th. So we'll have a whole bunch of stuff relating to that in the coming weeks. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of put the bow on this and head into the off season, um, Jesse Bates in the postseason just cost the Bengals so much money with how much they're going to have to pay him. I mean, he played so well on Sunday night. He missed one tackle on Cooper cup along the sideline. That was pretty bad, but his interception of Stafford was really, it was really good coverage by him. And, you know, all postseason, he was just making plays. He had three picks in the postseason, a bunch of pass breakups, just how, um, how, how do you feel now about Jesse Bates versus how you felt about him at the end of the regular season? Yeah, so Jesse Bates had a very, I mean, let's just be honest, very mediocre regular season. Uh, he, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts over the last month, month and a half. And Jesse Bates did admit that, you know, the contract thing was hanging over his head a lot in the beginning of the season. So that makes sense. But, you know, you're not going to agree with me on this. I don't know. But the Bengals will tag and should tag Jesse Bates this off season. Well, they're going to tag him, but the, I, if they don't have a deal done with him by next year, I think it's just going to end up backfiring because he's going to go somewhere else and get that money. I agree with what you're saying, but the thing is, is their window is the next two, three years before they pay Joe. Their, their true window. It's like the Russell Wilson, you know, early when he was with the Seahawks where they had all those goons around him. Like they had like, you know, the Legion of boom, they had all those studs around him before they had to pay him. The problem is, is that if you pay Jesse Bates this offseason without tagging him, his cap hit is about four or five mil higher because of that signing bonus. I guess they could push it down the road, but that kind of hamstrings you down the road. So they have to be careful with that because the tag is only 13 million. So 13 mil cap hit for Jesse Bates is a deal, in my opinion. I don't, I mean, especially with the way he played because if, you know, in the postseason, because if you don't, if you don't tag him, his cap hit's going to be 16, 17 mil. Well, my thing is, is if the, if, if the Bengals want to claim that they are this draft develop, family run, draft develop, resign organization, you pay your dues, you get rewarded uh, after your first contract, then Jesse Bates is the shining example of that because since he came in the league, he has been a very good player on that defense. And if they don't reward him for that, 
it just reflects poorly on everything that they've stood for for the past 30 years since Mike Brown took over. So well, that's, that's, I mean, that's the only reason I say that I, th- that I would say getting a deal done is paramount to this organization's offseason. Yeah, they'll pay him. I, I think they'll eventually get a deal done. The problem is, is I wouldn't pay Jesse Bates $18 million a year. I wouldn't do it. Asking for 18. I, I mean, Buda is getting 15, 16 right now. I think, well, I, I, saw, I saw a tweet or something. It was last, last fall. He was asking for 17. So if he's asking for 17, he's probably going to get around 15 and a half, right? So I really, I really would, I really wouldn't want a million and a half dollars out of a $220 million salary cap to, 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 to you know, only a million, a million and a half of that um, to, to, for that to make Jesse Bates not a bangle. Like it just doesn't make any sense for a million and a half dollars out of 220 to, you know, negate you having Jesse Bates. So I think they'll get a deal done, but I let's hope they get a deal done. And that, and that'll be something to watch as the season goes uh, or off season goes um, along. Um, I have, wait, I have one more. I, I got one more thing. I got one more thing. What do you got? So, so you see the chiefs and we'll get more into this. You see the chiefs, you see the saints, you know, you see the Packers doing this cap gymnastics every year. Would you want to see the Bengals do that? No, the, you never. The, the Bengals have been so good about making sure they're cap compliant for a long time, and it pays dividends in years like this because they're going to have upwards of seventy million dollars in cap space once they eliminate the contracts of Hopkins and Waynes. But at some point, you have to you you have to throw it all all on the table and say we're doing this for the next three years and we're going to deal with the consequences after that. Because if you want to win a championship, it's proven that the recipe is win it while your quarterback is on the rookie deal and he's not eating up that much of the cap. Teams that pay their quarterback as much as the Packers are paying Rodgers, as much as the the, um, Cowboys, Seahawks are paying Russ, as much as the Cowboys are paying Dak, you leave yourself vulnerable for holes elsewhere on your team because you can't fill them. And at some point, the Bengals just need to say, screw it. We're going all in for these next three or four years, and we're going to go balls to the wall and try to make this happen. Yeah, and also one more thing. Maybe the most important news of the week, Zach Taylor, four-year extension. I love it. Um, I mean, I, I, I still love Zach Taylor. I'm not going to say that Sunday night sways my opinion by any means, but if there's, if there's anybody who is looking in the window after Sunday night and saying, I got to be better. It's Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, and every coach on that offensive staff. Because Lou Anarumo made one mistake Sunday night, and that was calling a bad coverage with Eli Apple uh, on Cooper Cup. But Zach Taylor and that staff made several blunders Sunday night that made you think, oh, my gosh, are we still doing this in year three? Perfectly willing to see next year and excited to see what he does next year when he has a competent O-line for some of his play calls, but you know, the substitutions of P Ryan made no sense on Sunday night. No, they did not. But you know, the one thing Zach Taylor has done really well, um, you know, he's a great culture builder, uh, players coach, and he has learned from mistakes in the past. He's gotten so much better as a play caller this year alone that you, you know, the Super Bowl I think maybe got to him a little bit, but 
he's definitely worthy of a contract extension because you can't you can't make a Super Bowl for a team that had you can't win three playoff games in a city that had won one for thirty years and be a you know a lame duck head coach next year. Oh no, it's it's a well deserved contract extension, and I'm 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 beyond yeah. uh, thankful that Zach Taylor was the coach that did this uh, this year with this team. My only point is that there are a lot of people that need to be looking at their play in the mirror after Sunday night and after this whole season. And there were just a couple of games this year where Zach Taylor and, and some of these play calls, like throwing that back screen against the jets um, where Joe Burrow had it tipped and intercepted. That was just a bad play call. And just, you know, the San Francisco game, Zach Taylor keeping the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. It's just minor things like that that w- when you reach the stage like the Super Bowl, they just become that more evident and you realize, ah, oh, we've just got room to grow and, and we just got to keep getting better. Did you use the L word with Zach Taylor? What? Love. You said love. I've never heard you say that before. I mean, hey, the guy wins three playoff games. I love him. I mean, I you were no, not a- taking him to Jeff Ruby's or anything, but you know, he could take us with uh, with that contract extension. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, my- I mean, you know, we'll get mo- way more into the off season. Already started doing mock drafts that both of us have. So um, that's going to be these next two months. We'll be having a bunch of off season stuff come your way. Just a quick little teaser for that. Um, real quick, real, real quick. Just give me your initial outlook of outside of the O line, your three your top three positions of need for the Bengals this offseason. Backup tight end is number one. They need a they need another receiving tight end if they bring uh, other than CJ Uzama. Um, I would look to upgrade, and I don't know they really like P Ryan. Maybe try to find a little better pass catcher out of the backfield like Cordell Patterson, somebody like that. Um, who's going to be a free agent. And also, I think I think that um, they're going to draft cornerback in the draft, um, but try to find that cornerback too. So Eli Apple would be great for depth. Um, he's a great cornerback for that. He's really not that bad. But Eli Apple and Trey Flowers, I think both should be back next year. Absolutely. Vernon Hargraves, by the way, we haven't talked about this. Vernon Hargraves, get the hell out of Cincinnati. Him and Darius Phillips should be on the same plane out that. No, they should be on the Greyhound. Yeah, no, no, nah, they, they need they, they're buying their own plane ticket out. Uh, it's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. What a dumb move that was. I, I can't, I've never seen that before in my life. I, 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 I'm be, I was beyond words in that moment. Was the, he in Was he hurt or inactive? It was this healthy scratch. If that tells you anything about what they think about Vernon Hargraves. Well, I mean, I was surprised he was still the only reason he was still on the roster was because Darius Phillips got hurt. And the only reason Darius Phillips was still on the roster is because o- only God knows why Darius Phillips is still on the roster. But <laughs> I don't know. Lots of stuff. Um, but so you said tight end, backup running back, and corner. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on tight end. I agree with you on corner. And then, you know, they just have to – Interior D line should be a big focus. Yeah. Keep Ogan Joby, keep BJ Hill, hopefully, and then draft a guy, maybe sign another guy. Um, but your edge depth is starting to look 
clearer for next year. You've got Khalid Kareem, Trey Hendrickson, Hubbard, Osai, Cam Sample. You know, you've got enough that that doesn't become the huge need that it was last year. But nonetheless, uh, still some holes to fill everywhere um, in the trenches uh, on this defense. So with that, I'll throw you a trivia question and then we'll get out of here. Uh, and enjoy the weekend. So today's trivia question is an interesting one. So the Bengals, since 2000, the Bengals have taken – well, no, I'm thinking of how I want to ask this. Okay, since 2000 here, – here we go. Since 2000, how many offensive linemen have the Bengals taken in the first three rounds of the draft? Uh – Honestly, I don't know. 18, 17? 10. Okay, okay. They've taken 10. How many of those have been first-rounders? Okay, so we got Cedric Aboy. He oh, – was Andrew Whitworth the first-rounder? No, he was not. Okay. Aboy, he – oh, God. Two of the the two others, there's two others that are pretty recent, and then the last one was in 2002. So I, I wouldn't expect you to know that one. Um. Oh, it's Zeitler. Zeitler is one of them. Yeah. Oh, do you say Abwehi? Abwehi Zeitler. Is there another recent one, or is it are the? Dude, who am I missing here? Big Tubby. Oh, Billy Price. Billy Price. Oh, there, so there were five first rounders. I, I screwed up. So Billy Price and then Big Tubby, Andre okay. Smith. Yep, 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 yep. And then Levi Jones uh, in 2002. So those were the five first rounders. So yep. you'd say they hit on none of those guys. Uh, Wait, uh, you could say Andre Smith. First rounder, too. Who? I, this question, this was a bad, bad question by me. I apologize. Wait, who, wait what, what name did you say? Uh, Jonah Williams was a first rounder too. Yes, he was. Also, um, uh, Jake Fisher was an early second. Jake Fisher was an early second. So, so if we look back at these five first round O linemen that they've drafted since two thousand and two thousand one, two, three, four, five, six first rounders. Sorry, um, two of them have been good. So. Um, Mm. Zeitler you and Jonah Williams. Andre Smith was okay. Not worth the about big pick. Not worth this pick, but he was and a decent lineman. Some of these um, second and third rounders weren't bad. I mean, you had Eric Steinbach in 03. He was okay. Um, Andrew Whitworth was 06, probably the best modern lineman for the Bengals, uh, up there with Willie Anderson. Um. I mean, you've just got a dearth. Clint Bowling was fourth round in 2011. You said Russell Bodine. Russell Bodine was a fourth rounder in 14. With Carolina. Big Fisher in 15. And then it's just been a really bad, bad, bad job of picking O-linemen um, for a long time. So trivia question, how many first-round linemen since 2000? It was six. I apologize for not having my information uh, correctly sorted on my end. But nonetheless, that just goes to tell you the Bengals are not great at doing the O-linemen in the draft. Yeah, they're not – yeah, no, regardless of round, 
They're they're not very good at the alignment thing. Not it's like, like Bill Belichick with the receiver thing. It just they just can't get it right. Indeed, it is. Um, that's all we got for today. Kind of a somber episode, but we finally had to suck up our pride and and do this. So the Bengals lose the Super Bowl, but we all hope that they will return. Um, and we can't wait for for the off season. We're yeah. in off season mode now. Can't wait. Can't we're wait to this. Usually honestly, we're used to this about a month and a half earlier. Honestly, though, it, it's weird. It's like I'm not even looking forward to the offseason yet because I'm still depressed as hell from last Sunday. So, well, uh, I've only done like 15 mock drafts now. Or usually I would have done by like 150 by now. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we will have plenty of draft and free agency stuff coming up. But with all that, we leave you with a who day. Who day? Who day?